when I was 25, I just started jogging and I, you know, ate lettuce and chicken all day and I lost tons of weight. So I'll just do that. Completely ignoring the fact that we have an entirely different hormone landscape now in our 30s and 40s. What's working right now may not work very well in a year, in five years. We go through so many hormone changes as women. When it came to eating and dieting, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I interviewed over a thousand women and I said, what did you do? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. What did you eat? How'd you do it? If you want to learn how to lose weight for life through intermittent fasting, burn fat, and break the bondage of food, then this podcast is for you. I'm Chantel Ray, author of Waste Away, The Chantel Ray Way, and each week I have different guests answering your questions. Remember, the thoughts and opinions in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast. And today's guest is Dr. Brooke Kalanick, and she is a licensed naturopathic doctor. She's functional medicine practitioner. And you have a book, Hangry with Sarah Fergoso. Also, you guys all both have a podcast together, Better Every Day with Sarah and Dr. Brooke. And so we're so glad to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you. And we actually fairly recently changed the name of our show. It's now- Oh, you did? Yeah, it's the Sarah and Dr. Brooke show. But oh, okay, perfect. Love it. It still comes up when you, um, when you search that other one. But yes, thanks for having me. So talk about some of your areas of expertise. I know you do hypothyroidism, autoimmunity, P- PCOS. What else do you guys specialize in? Yeah, so in my clinical practice, I mostly work with women that have some sort of hormonal issue or some sort of autoimmune issue. I'm often not the first person, you know, many women have like been through the conventional route and just aren't really getting the answers or the full scope of help that they need. So they make their way to me. And then we really do that kind of high level functional medicine approach where we look at how everything's connected, you know, women are not sure how they're bloating or how they feel after they eat, how that could be possibly connected to anything going on, you know, with their female hormones. So there tends to be, you know, a variety of female hormone issues, whether that's menopause, endometriosis, things like that, or PCOS, uh, autoimmune, thyroid, menopause, all of those things are just, a lot of times women are just tired, you know, they're just tired and worn out and not doing well. And their tests per their doctor are like, I don't know, everything's fine. And they're really left with not a lot of answers for why they're not thriving. So sometimes women don't necessarily have, let's say, PCOS or a diagnosis like that, but they're just not doing as well as they would like to be doing. So tell us a little bit about your journey personally and how you embraced your own health and your own weight loss and and struggling with losing weight. So when I was a teen, I was um, immediately put on the pill for some, you know, difficult periods. Um, I was told I had PCOS, but no one really explained what that was or what it meant or really informed me about anything that, you know, that the pill was going to be doing. Um, I was just told this will sort of like regulate your cycle and, um, which it doesn't, (laughs) gives you an artificial cycle. Um, And it doesn't really empower any of our young women that are put on the pill so early to understand anything that's really going on for them or what other options there might be. And I never felt great on the pill, but that was really my, you know, only option. So I sort of came on and off the pill into my 20s, not really knowing what else to do. And at the time I was in pharmacy school and in that world, and that was our answer. And I was really not feeling well. Um, And, you know, I think that... (laughs) um, PCOS is one of the things that sort of predisposes me to having difficult fat loss, but I feel like that's been kind of a, another piece of my journey that's a little bit different. So as I was kind of looking for more answers in my own health, why I 
couldn't really tolerate the pill, but I didn't really know what else to do for this like erratic cycle where I, you know, just felt crazy and my skin's breaking out. And I stumbled upon um, working with my mom's naturopathic doctor actually. And she was so helpful. Um, And the things she had me do were like relatively easy. I know now, like I was young and pretty healthy. So the things we did were not like rocket science and they weren't crazy, but it really changed my life. So I, I migrated to doing this. I felt like there was a lot more good I could do to help women be a little bit more empowered and have more options. And should they choose the pill? Great, but at least not be presented with that's the only thing that we've got for you. Um, Weight loss has been kind of an interesting thing. Um, I feel like something that I've had to do for my own self was really embrace the fact that I do have PCOS. Um, Fat loss is difficult. Um, Fat gain is easy. Um, Putting on muscle mass is really easy for me. And so I've had to really kind of shift to working more with the physiology and the body that I have instead of always trying to make myself fit into some smaller idea. And that has really helped me not do stuff that wrecks my hormones. Because I think when you're dealt a certain set of hormone stuff and we are constantly doing things for the sake of weight loss that just really put the heat on our hormones, it just never ends well, right? It's not good for our hormones. It's usually not very effective for, for very long. And so that became a big part of what I do with women just because I, I know I'm not alone in that. You know, we do a lot of crazy stuff in order to lose weight simply for the sake of losing weight and not necessarily the impact that it has on our health or hormones or our happiness. Awesome. Well, in your book, Hangry, you talk about five simple steps to balance your hormones and restore your joy. Talk to us a little bit about those five steps. Yeah. So we based everything on the idea that most women, you know, especially after age 30, have more than one hormone issue. So, you know, you read something on the internet, like for me, that I have PCOS. So I'm supposed to go really low carb, maybe keto, maybe lots of fasting and exercise a lot. But what if I also have like adrenal issues or low blood sugar or a thyroid problem or autoimmunity, those are saying, well, you can walk, but you can't really do anything else. You need to eat several times a day. And many women have both of those issues. So they're sort of left with the, well, you know, this hormone advice is completely contradicting each other. So what do I do as a woman with a thyroid and ovaries and insulin and cortisol and all of these other hormones that we need to, you know, honor. So we teach it in a way that what I call the hormone hierarchy. So addressing those more delicate hormone issues first. So the low cortisol, the low thyroid, then high cortisol, then insulin resistance, which is where part of the PCOS kind of stuff comes in. And that can come in, you know, insulin resistance can be part of other issues as well. And then kind of last on the least, even though this is a book for women with female hormones is estrogen and progesterone. So honoring those sort of in that order allows us to kind of filter all of the advice out there, you know, the fasting, the keto, the intermittent, you know, the interval training, the strength training, the yoga, like where do we put all of that? And so honoring yourself kind of in that order helps you sort of heal these more delicate issues and just kind of move on down the list when you still have issues lower down. So what we, but we also know, so that's the advice to a woman who's like, how do I know what works for me? That's kind of become the buzz thing in fitness and health right now. It's like, we'll do what works for you. And most women are like, great, I'd be happy to do that. I have no idea what will work for me. There's all this information and I don't know what to do. So we know that while women need to ultimately figure out that it's not a cookie cutter, it's not like an off the shelf plan that's going to work. We've all had that, right? What you do might not work for me. What my girlfriend does might fail miserably for me, or it might work really great. Um, and we just sort of don't understand why 
this plan that promises such great results isn't working for us. So ultimately, we need to find and work with our own hormones and find what works for us. But we also need a template, right? You need a starting place. So the five steps in our book, we have five mindset tools, which I could talk about later, but the five steps we're talking about are what we call our five habits. So it's five walks per week. Um, We usually start women on four meals a day, roughly the same size. Then you migrate to from there. You might need more, you might need less. Um, Three strength training sessions a week, at least two liters of water a day, and then one commitment every day to what we call real self-care. And that's the mindset stuff that we work with. And it's kind of a simple system. Of course, it's going to be tweaked slightly as you kind of work your way through our book and get different hormones in balance. You know, I hope that you wouldn't have adrenal issues forever. You won't be dealing with low thyroid forever. Kind of work through some of those. And then that's another really important thing for women to remember is what's working right now may not work very well in a year, in five years. We go through so many hormone changes as women. You know, we get we go through perimenopause, we have babies, we go through a big stressful event, we get a new diagnosis, and what may be working great for us today just might fall apart and not work at all. And so as you learn through the program in the book, like what your hormones are actually telling you, then you'll be able to know like, okay, I need to make some adjustments to those those five steps for where I'm at now. And I think we, I mean, how many of us have said, well, when I was 25, I just started jogging and I, you know, ate lettuce and chicken all day and I lost tons of weight. So I'll just do that completely ignoring the fact that we have a entirely different hormone landscape now in our thirties and forties. So you referred in your book to your thyroid as the gas pedal of your metabolism. Um, and so talk to us of what tips you give people who do deal with hyperthyroidism. Yeah, so every cell in your body's got a hormone for thyroid receptor. So this is why the thyroid symptoms are so far reaching. Your hair falls out, your digestion slows, your skin's dry, your reflexes are slow, you have brain fog, you know, your gait, your metabolism slows down as far as like weight gain. So it's got its hand in a lot of things. So the repercussions are, you know, pretty significant. So it's that's why that hormone's at the top of the hierarchy. So we want to make sure that First things first, you're getting a thorough thyroid panel. So, so many women are getting just a TSH. Some are getting the TSH and maybe a T4. And we're not looking at that whole cascade. So like real quick, high level thyroid physiology, your brain's going to tell your thyroid what to do. Your thyroid's going to make a hormone that then has to be converted into its active form. That's going to get shuttled around on a protein, has to come off the protein. So that's a lot of steps. You know, there's about 10 things that can go wrong, you know, in that cascade. And so when we want to look at the testing, we want to make sure that we are looking at that whole piece of it because your TSH might be okay. You might be making plenty of T4, but you don't convert it well. So if we don't get those other tests, we don't necessarily see that, you know, inflammation and cortisol can really impact um, your thyroid. And again, without a full panel, you might not be able to see all those issues. And the other thing is the thyroid antibodies. So Hashimoto's is incredibly common. It's the most common reason for a woman to have low thyroid. And a lot of women don't get those antibodies checked. Their doctor's not running those. And to be fair, it does not change what your doctor is going to do. For the most part, they have the medication to treat the, the T4. That's what they've got. So in their model, it doesn't make a lot of sense. There's no extra treatment if you have Hashimoto's. However, in the functional medicine world or with your own nutrition and stress management and things like that, then we really want to make sure that we do know that because 
autoimmune diseases tend to, if, woman, if a woman gets one, she tends to get on average three. So we do want to know if you're someone, you know, dis- predisposed to that. We want to keep an eye out for that, quiet your immune system down, but we also want to protect that thyroid and keep it, you know, as healthy as possible, you know, for as long as we can. So getting a full panel is going to be your first thing. Now, beyond that, it's going to depend a little bit, you know, what's going on. You know, for example, if you don't convert well, you're going to need to make sure you're getting like selenium and zinc. But the two things that are going to impact your thyroid probably, I'll say three things, probably the most as far as your other hormones are going to be cortisol. It impacts conversion to active hormone. It um, can, it impacts what we call reverse T3, where you lose it down this other pathway. It spurs the autoimmune problem. It disrupts your gut. Your gut's really important for thyroid health. So anything you can do to manage stress and you can do to better manage your overwhelm, the working too much, the not getting enough rest and recovery, maybe under eating, maybe over exercising, uh, worry, all of that stuff. So there's a cortisol is what uh, cortisol and inflammation, they're like hormone mess makers. They're going to mess up everything from start to finish. So anything you can do to improve your stress response, to get more rest, to take care of yourself, to practice real self-care, and then anything you can do to lower inflammation. I would say if you have Hashimoto's, there's good research to back up the idea that like a paleo lifestyle, especially gluten and dairy free can be really helpful for many women, not necessarily all, um, but there's a lot of correlation um, with that. Estrogen can have an impact on your thyroid too. It's a little bit further down. So if you're a woman who's um, having what we call estrogen dominance, where your breasts are getting tender, you're having really bad PMS, maybe a shorter cycle, heavy cycle, um, headaches with ovulation or with your period, Um, that could be impacting, or you're taking any kind of, you know, the birth control pill or HRT, any kind of estrogen medications, that can impact the level of free hormones that you have around. So that might be something you want to look into too. And then with all your hormones, I'll say one more thing about inflammation. You know, again, I call that the hormone mess maker because many times, excuse me, Women will say, I've got all the symptoms of low thyroid. I've got all the symptoms of low estrogen, but I went to my doctor and they checked it and my levels are fine. So maybe you're making the hormone, but inflammation is one of the things that can take a totally normal level of hormone, but it really messes up the efficacy and how that hormone works in your body, like inside of a cell. So sometimes if your tests are normal, let's say your thyroid's normal, but you're like, I have every symptom of this in the book, all of it, that might be something to really think about. And inflammation comes from a lot of things that stress us out. So it kind of goes back to cortisol. If you're not getting enough rest, we're eating foods that don't work for us, we're overly stressed, or maybe we're exercising in a way that we you know, don't tolerate very well, all of those things are going to lead to inflammation. And I want everyone, if you'd like to see what a full panel of uh, I'd like for you to email me your suggestion on the thyroid panel. I've got a suggestion as well for ChantelRayWay.com slash bloodwork, and they can go there and see because absolutely, you know, these doctors are checking their TSH only and that's it. And then they're going, yeah, your thyroid's fine when it's, when it in fact is not. So one of the things we always like to ask people is what does the day in the life of Brooke look like? So what did you eat yesterday? Are there any foods that are off limits? Talk to us about any supplements you take. And even for yourself personally, like are you on thyroid medicine? Are there any supplements you take? Talk about yourself for just a second. 
Yeah. So I, this question always throws me because I'm a mom of two little girls and I've got a husband who has a interesting job. He's a comedian. So we have a very... Really? Tell me about that. What kind of comedian is he? Uh, he's a stand-up comedian. We live in New York City. That's why we live here. And I like his schedule is not normal and it's different every day, right? Like it's not like he works every night from let's say seven to ten it's like some nights he has a show and sometimes he doesn't and sometimes he's gone Thursday through Sunday and sometimes he's just working close by over the weekend sometimes he's gone for a week on a cruise ship you know his schedule can be really crazy so our life is a little bit um I feel like our days are never quite the same um and then again having little ones that we're shuttling around or now it's we're still on summer break um and it's August but um New York goes back to school very late. So for us, our lifestyle, as far as our days go, um, are not super predictable. Um, but for me right now, and this is very different than what I was doing six months ago, because six months ago, I was in the middle of wrapping up the book, finishing edits, marketing the book, and I was not doing very well, wasn't sleeping well, super stressed out, um, not in a great place for my hormones. So what I was doing then was probably eating a little more frequently or little more frequently. Um, I was walking a lot and strength training, not doing any metabolic work or extra cardio. Um, so that was sort of what that looked like. Now um, I'm doing a little more fasting. I'm not usually eating in the morning until like noon um, and having two meals a day. I've been gluten-free now for about 10 years. Um, that's one that I never knew. That one just is out. Um, the way I like to think of food, I think coming from somebody and many women can probably relate to this, you know, so many years of dieting, and you just think of food as like good or bad, and you're good or bad if you can eat those foods or not. And so I really like to think of it as there's food that works for me. So that's protein, vegetables, water, you know, whole foods. Um, those are things that really work. There's things that don't work well. So that's like alcohol, um, sugar, you know, I just really can't do a lot of carbs, can't do a lot of sugar. It really affects me personally. Um, and then there's foods that don't work at all. And I would put dairy for me in the doesn't work well. And the foods that don't work at all for me are, you know, that would be gluten for me. So that one I just don't go near. Um, that's kind of the, like the main thing, it's, I guess, um, that I'm doing. I get up every day and um, work a little bit because I usually have my kids in the morning. Um, and I go for a walk in the morning for an hour. Um, sometimes I run, but most of the time I'm just walking. And I'm still strength training, um, but I am able to do a little bit more. Like I said, I can do some sprints. I can do some running. I can do some other activity because right now I'm sleeping well. Um, I'm not so stressed out. I'm not spread so thin. And I think that that's not something I used to know, right? I used to just think I had to do all the things all the time, you know, terrified if I have a carb or miss a workout, I'm going to gain weight. So learning again to kind of like work with where I'm at and know that you know, most of us, wherever we're at is temporary to, to some degree. There are a few things like having a lower carb diet and being gluten-free. Those are kind of long-term strategies for me as a woman with PCOS. And a, I don't have any autoimmune disease now, but there's tons of it in my family. So being you know, kind of proactive about um, some of the things I know that could be helpful to me, you know, taking care of those things. So supplement wise, um, I take a few things for um, my PCOS, but not a lot. Things are pretty well under control right now. Um, in the mornings, I take some vitamin C and a B complex and my adrenal support because even at my best, my life's, um, you know, self-employed, um, running my practice, doing the book, doing the podcast, um, taking care of my kids, um, solo parenting about half the time just due to my husband's um, crazy schedule. Um, for me, I sleep is my biggest challenge. Like I love working out. So that's not usually a thing I struggle with getting done. I like eating healthy. That's not super hard for me, making sure I get sleep 
and making sure that my lifestyle is not negatively impacting my sleep. That's probably um, that and stress management are my biggest challenges that I have to really make sure that I employ like the meditation and the mantras and, you know, the walking and all the stuff that I do to try to keep my, my mindset in check. Gotcha. Well, let's jump right into the listener questions. This one's from Melissa in Dayton. When I was younger in my 20s, my doctor diagnosed me with PCOS. I'm 31 now and recently had an ultrasound to get things looked at. I was pleasantly surprised after the ultrasound that my PCOS had, quote, cleared up. She said this often happens with age. I've never heard of this before. Is it really true? And how can you tell? Hmm. Um, okay. Well, I don't want to like rain on the parade here because that sounds exciting that it would go away. So there's a couple things to think about. First of all, PCOS cannot be diagnosed or really assessed with an ultrasound. So that's just older information. Um, part of the problem when you got diagnosed initially, you know, we're, we're starting to think that we should not um, diagnose PCOS Um, via ultrasound at all because there's other things like hypothyroidism there's other things that can look like PCOS on an ultrasound so that's one problem the other one is there's a lot of fluctuation that goes on in um, our puberty and with getting our cycle synced up and it takes about eight to ten years to do that so experts are now saying we really shouldn't diagnose PCOS within eight years of when your period started so depending on when that started you know something may have uh, shifted you know, that looked like PCOS, but really it wasn't. So we really want to make sure you were being evaluated in other ways. How's your hemoglobin A1C? How's your LH hormone? What's your period doing? Is it regular? Now, PCOS can, I wouldn't say women like grow out of it the way that your doctor sort of implied, but I would say perhaps you were misdiagnosed. Um, You know, if your cycle was irregular and they were looking at an ultrasound to see if perhaps this is PCOS, Many young women, um, so puberty comes with like just syncing up your cycle. So PCOS is going to present then. So you may have PCOS looking stuff. You could have elevated androgens breaking out. You may have had elevated androgens like testosterone on a blood test. You might have had the cysts on your ovaries. Um, So some of that could have just been puberty. Um, Cysts on your ovaries, as far as the ultrasound, could also appear in hypothalamic amenorrhea, where you're not having a period, but it's not because of PCOS. It's because you're maybe under eating or over exercising. And a lot of young women are going through that. You know, many are athletic or they're gymnastics or they're doing something where their caloric expenditure is high they start going through puberty and maybe because of like pressure to keep their body smaller for their sport or just society or maybe they just don't know and they could be under eating and that's really common in that time frame so it could have been a misdiagnosis it could be now that you just didn't have cysts on your ovary that time when she looked at it so I would be looking still at um, is your cycle normal are you doing great now if you've got PCOS or don't have PCOS like right now I don't do a lot beyond my lifestyle for PCOS because I know how to mine my particular flavor of PCOS. I know how to manage that mostly with what I eat and how I exercise. Um, other women, you know, they struggle more with it. And so they need, you know, more, you know, n- nutrient intervention. Like they need to take things to help, you know, deal with the excess testosterone. Other women really need to look at their adrenals. Other women need to really support their progesterone. So there's a lot of things to look at. So I would say mine, I would call it in remission. Certainly if I ate differently or live my life differently, all that stuff would come back. My cycle would get really long. I'd be breaking out all the, all the things. So you may be in remission. You may not have had PCOS in the first place. So I would say, um, 
you know, if, if you're doing great, you're getting a normal period, your skin's clear, your hair's not falling out, you're feeling great, I wouldn't worry too much about whether you have it or not. Just keep an eye out for things to change. But you might want to reconsider even if the PCOS diagnosis was even you know, accurate in the first place. Hey guys, we absolutely love getting your questions into the podcast, but we're also interested in your journey. So if you've started intermittent fasting and have some success or even struggling a little bit, we want to hear about it. Email me your intermittent fasting stories to Chantel at ChantelRayWay.com. Now back to the show. All right, this next one is from Anonymous. For hypothyroid, what do you consider to be a higher than normal level of TSH? I can't seem to find a straight answer online. They're all different and all over the place. Mine is currently 2.5, which the doctor said isn't crazy high. What are your thoughts? Um, so I can give you guys a link. I can send it to you. I have a lab guide that's like a really full lab guide for women to get their testing done and take a look at some of the values. Um, and the full thyroid panel is in there. There is some disagreement. Uh, in the conventional model, it can be 4.5 or 5.5 before it's considered high. I've definitely seen TSH on patients and their do- it's like 7, 7.5. And their doctor's like, well, but you don't really feel bad, so we'll just watch it. So it depends on who you're seeing. Um, if your doctor is saying it's a little bit high at 2.5, I'm assuming you're working perhaps with somebody who's looking at it a little more functionally or, new, or naturopathically minded. So typically 2.5 up, we would start looking at that's a possible, if, again, I would agree, not crazy high. There might be something going on there. It would be really important to look at those other hormones because if you're, regardless of what your TSH is, if your T4 or T3 is low, we should intervene somehow, not necessarily with a medication, but again, you got to look at that whole cascade. TSH fluctuates. It fluctuates throughout your cycle. Um, It's not a super stable hormone. It's funny that that is the one that's considered like the best way to monitor your thyroid. It will move around. So I would also keep an eye on it. Um, And testing at the second half of your cycle is not as accurate. You can have some impact of estrogen and progesterone on that as well. So I would agree that it's a little high, um, but I'd be more curious of everything else that's going on. And we also don't want to treat the lab value. We want to treat you. So if you're coming to my office, like my hair is falling out, can't get out of bed, you know, I'm losing my eyebrows, gaining weight, brain fog, can't form a sentence, can't find a word. You've got all that stuff. We're going to want to make sure that we're, there are other things that can cause fatigue and things like that. So I just want to make sure that you look at the whole picture and for sure, look at a whole thyroid panel. All right, this next one is Jordan in Washington. Something I've always struggled with is acne. I've tried about every face wash, lotion, everything, and it just doesn't work. I've heard breakouts are caused by birth control, stress, and an unhealthy diet. What are your go-to things to help with breakouts, and what tips do you have to clear up acne? So acne has very little to do with what we're putting on our face. Now, there might be things that are clogging your pores that are making it worse, but it's, it's a symptom that something's going on. So there's hormonal causes. So we can have like in the PCOS picture, um, excess androgens. It doesn't have to be testosterone. So perhaps you've had your testosterone checked, but it could be DHEA or androstenedione or one of the other androgens. So if you're looking at hormonal causes, the PCOS realm has a lot of, you know, acne is one of the things because the blood sugar disrupts the testosterone and we end up with um, some of these elevated androgen, you know, fallout. The other thing though is especially with PCOS, some of us are more sensitive to, our follicles are more sensitive to androgens. So you might have a normal test, but you still have 
androgen related breakouts because it doesn't take as much for say me to break out as it would for someone else. So that's kind of in the PCOS world. I would, you'd wanna look at, are any of those androgens elevated? Um, make sure you get them tested. Um, again, I can give you the link to that lab guide. I got to go through all those, all those different tests and the ranges. Now, the other thing that causes breakouts is um, inflammation, which can come from an unhealthy gut. It can come from, you know, things like excess histamine, anything that's driving inflammation. It could also be, you know, you're not clearing stuff out with, you know, your liver is one of those things that's just constantly working to like deal with all the gunk in our environment and certain pathways can just get a little bit bogged down. So we might need to support that whole pathway. But I would say thinking about androgens, inflammation, and a, a healthy gut, it very easily could be tied to something you're eating at least as part of the problem. So gluten and dairy are kind of like the go-tos as far as like decreasing food sensitivities. But one of the other ones that comes up a lot with, um, with, with acne is eggs, which is something most of us um, eat. And remember with a food sensitivity, you don't have to have digestive symptoms. I think sometimes we think, well, I eat that and I don't get a stomach ache. So it's not, it's not that. Um, you can have brain fog, you can have acne, you can have eczema, you know, a racing heart, you can have all kinds of things. Um, for me personally, I not only have PCOS, but I also have histamine intolerance. So, you know, if you've recently started eating a lot of avocados and fermented foods and things like that, and it got worse, that might point to um, some histamine issues. I could t probably talk for an hour about Let, Let's talk about that because we've just recently got some a bunch of questions about histamine. So talk about that. Um, you know, I got a, um, a wasp bite about literally almost six weeks ago, two, two wasp bites on my leg. And I'm not joking. If you look at my leg right now, I still have like a, a breakout where those two uh, wasp bites are. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, this is ridiculous. My immune system is definitely not working six weeks later from a wasp bite and I'm still in a pickle here. But talk about histamines for just a second. Yeah, so I think most when we hear histamine, we think of, you know, itchy, runny eyes with allergies. We might think of a bee sting or a bug bite. Um, but histamine is an important brain chemical. It's one of our alert chemicals that keeps us awake. Um, it's also important in uterine contraction and um, sexual arousal. And it's really important in gut motility. It's one of the things that stimulates your, some cells in your stomach to uh, secrete acid. So it's got its hand in a lot of things. And it's really intricate related, intricately re related to female hormones. So estrogen tends to make histamine stuff go up, whereas progesterone tends to make it go down. So it's got its hand in a lot of things. And, you know, if you're somebody who gets migraines or your allergies are worse or your digestion is worse or your energy is worse with ovulation when estrogen rises, that might be an indication that you're dealing with some histamine issues. Um, there's a really good article um, on my blog. We talk about histamine and hangry. It's hard because the symptoms are so, you might have seasonal allergies or you might have bloating or you might have really painful periods or you might have acne. Those could all be related to histamine. They could all be related to other things. So when you look at the list, there's a lot of symptoms and you don't have all of them, but if you have any of them, histamine could be a part of it. And having an exaggerated reaction to a bug bite could be a histamine issue. Now, why do you have this? Um, so we've got a couple things. So some of us are sort of genetically predisposed to this. Like me personally, when I look at my genes, 
every way that you process histamine in your body, we've got about four ways, I have one or two variations in all of them. So it's, I'm sort of already predisposed for this. There's nutrients that help all of those enzymes run, like B6, copper, magnesium. Um, there's a number of thing, things that can help. So supporting myself with those are things that, and I should have probably talked about that. Those are foods I have to watch in my, my day-to-day. When I talk about what I do, I have to be careful not to have too many histamine foods at one time. So let's talk about, for people who don't know, I'll name some of the histamine foods that I can think of off the top of my head that kind of trigger your histamine. I would say probably like alcohol, tomatoes, bananas, chocolate, uh, um, like dairy, like cheese. Would you agree with that? Yeah, so there's different, some some of them just have histamine in them, like um, fermented foods or leftovers just have more histamine in them. So if you don't process that well, you're going to um, not do as well with those foods. Other foods cause a histamine release, like bananas and avocados, dairy, grains. Um, and spinach. Spinach, yep, spinach and tomatoes. Um, and so those are quote-unquote healthy foods, right? We're telling you to eat fermented foods mm-hmm. and, you know, vegetables and avocados and, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, and it's, it's just if you're not able to process it, that's when a healthy food may not be perfect for you right now. So some of the things like, so again, I'm sort of genetically predisposed to that, but um, you know, if I have wine too often, I'm going to deplete my B6 and that's going to block my Dow enzyme and I'm gonna, it's going to get worse. Um, if you have chronic infections, so Epstein-Barr, Candida, SIBO, any sort of gut disruption, those infections can kick off a lot of histamine. So you might just have a higher histamine burden. Um, there's other conditions that um, when you the cells that um, store and then release histamine are called mast cells. And if you have too many of those or they're just unstable, that's a little bit more, um, not necessarily something like we can clear. Like if you've got SIBO, like a gut infection, we should be able to treat that and you should be able to eat histamine foods again without an issue. With the, um, you know, some of those other things, those mast cell activation syndrome, that might be a little bit more longer term issue. So one thing that's a little bit different about histamine to remember, because people will say, well, Dr. Brooke, I went on your website and I got your histamine food list and I stopped eating all those and I felt a little bit better. And then I ate avocado one day and it made my mouth itch. And then I ate it another day and I was fine. So you're wrong. I don't understand like what's going on here. And the thing with histamine is you want to think of it like a bucket. Like you can put in the histamine and as long as you can process it and clear it out, you're fine. But because you're overly stressed out right now, because the infection is ramped up for some reason or whatever's going on, or you've also got seasonal allergies, so you're um, dealing with more histamine, or maybe you just went on a paleo diet and started doing bone broth and collagen and um, fermented foods, and now your histamine bucket is high. So you do want to think of it more like a bucket versus like a food sensitivity when you're like, when I eat that food, I get a stomachache, or when I eat that food, I get a headache. This is more like on this particular day, how full is your is your bucket. So it's kind of a complex issue. It's becoming, you know, we all, the other thing is environmental toxins, you know, like we may not be processing just the normal stuff, the produce that's not organic, the pollution in our air, the stuff in our water, the medications we take, you know, the glass of wine, all of those things just put a burden on our system. And it's not necessarily that there's anything quote unquote wrong with your liver. It's just that pathway is just overburdened and that can create a lot of histamine issues as well so it's becoming just increasingly more common it is something you can usually get to the bottom of um, and resolve or at least learn how like for me I just have to kind of be a little bit mindful of it all right I have two questions on detoxes from Becky in New York 
Um, many people have been telling me I should go on a two-day juice cleanse or fasting detox. I really want you to, to tell me the benefits of what are your best detox options. If I do this for two days or so, am I going right back to eating how I normally do or how often should I do these cleanses or detoxes? And the second question is, I'm considering doing a salt water flush, but you have to add two teaspoons of salt. Does it make you bloated from the salt? Have you ever done one? And can you explain how to do it? Okay. Um, so detoxes and cleanses have this kind of buzz around them. Um, let's just talk, I kind of mentioned it just recently, like what is detox? So detox, there's three phases um, in your body. And without getting too into that, you basically have to take the gunk in our environment and put it through these different phases. So what essentially not eating for a couple of days takes out any garbage that's coming in in your, in your nutrition, right? So that can give your digestion a rest. It, again, think of detox like a bucket. As long as, if you think of there's a hole or a spigot at the bottom of the bucket, as long as what's coming in is going through fine, so all those phases are working and there's not too much coming in, it should be going in and, and coming out. Now, there's a lot of reasons why we might have compromised detox in our modern world, stress, inflammation, you know, again, like, I just feel like there's, you know, so often we're just doing things to kind of cope with the stress, like maybe we're eating things that don't work for us, or we're drinking wine every night, or whatever it is, it's kind of a coping mechanism, or just again, our like overly burdened environment, medications that we're taking can slow down, can deplete nutrients that are important for um, those detox processes to run. So detoxification is something that's always happening, and you need, you know, like a healthy liver processing it all, you need a healthy gut, there's a lot of things that have to happen. Um, so there's the idea of just lowering the bucket. So if you just took out like packaged foods and some of the common food allergens and you ate more vegetables, you know, most of the nutrients that we need to, well, the nutrients we need to run those detox pathways to support the enzymes that do the work to convert toxic chemical A into, you know, other chemicals that are safer and help you excrete them. You know, they're found in vegetables. They're also found, you need a lot of sulfur-containing amino acids. So you need a lot of, you know, eggs and meat. That's, that's where a lot of those enzymes come from. And then plants. So could you um, just think about maybe incorporating more of decreasing the stuff that's coming in and increasing the good stuff. So eat more vegetables, eat a little bit higher quality, you know, animal protein, you know, if we're doing stuff every day, like our diet's not good, our stress is not good. We're rubbing, you know, common beauty products all over us that are loaded with endocrine disruptors and things that we're finding out are really, really bad for us. Um, doing a juice or doing a cleanse for two days is going to give you a couple days of reprieve, but it's not on the whole going to do anything to change your health. So I would be much more hopeful that we could have a conversation about what are things you can do to kind of move yourself towards just having better detoxification on the whole. To me, going on two days of a detox or 30 days of a plan and going right back to what you're doing, that doesn't really solve anything. So, um, you know, it's really always about like, what's the next day? So what's day three for you? What's day 31 for you? And making some real changes. So I would say getting our book is a really good place to start. Um, I wouldn't advise the salt cleanse at, at all. Um, yeah, I'm really, detoxification as a naturopathic doctor, liver health is something we are like cheerleaders for. Like we all need to have really good gut health and really good detoxification. But the way to do that, in my opinion, is, is just to, is not necessarily to, you know, just take everything out for a day or two. And, you know, a juice cleanse can be just a nightmare for your blood sugar. 
right? Because you go from eating some protein and some fiber to just having sugar um, for a couple of days. So yeah, not a fan of that. And sometimes people do need supplements to nurture their detox. They need to take, you know, B vitamins or um, things that support glutathione or something. And that's something I'd probably recommend you, you work with somebody to kind of figure out what you really need. So talk about the saltwater flush. Why aren't you a fan of that? So again, to me, the only thing that taking out everything does is to give, and that gives your gut a break. And that, that there's some merit to that. So if you're somebody with just a super inflamed gut, doing a water fast, I would say was probably fine. Um, the saltwater flush to me is just a little bit gimmicky. Um, you're not really necessarily doing anything. If you're somebody that needs more sodium and things like that, I would recommend like a good electrolyte blend so that you get the other um, minerals. It's just not something that has a lot of good science behind it. All right. Grace in New Hampshire. I recently found out that I'm hypothyroid and have been exploring my options. I talked to some people who take Synthroid and they say it's the best thing that that has happened to them. Others say taking Synthroid was the worst thing they ever did for their thyroid. A few have recommended Armour Thyroid as a more natural alternative. Some tell me that I shouldn't take anything at all. I'm so confused. Help. Yeah. So I would say this is, a I love this question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So you really want to be working with somebody who knows what they're doing with your thyroid. So again, making sure you're, when you look at why are you hypothyroid? Why are you not converting? Are you not getting the nutrients? Do you have inflammation? Do you have autoimmunity? Do you have estrogen dominance? Is there inflammation like that's impacting your pituitary gland to even secrete the TSH to stimulate your thyroid? You really need to know where the breakdown is and that will help dictate, are you ready for medication? Um, do you, which medication is best for you? Now, if you're somebody who's just starting out, the armor thyroid or the natural desiccated thyroid is oftentimes a first starting point because it is more like what your body makes. So that would be probably the place to start unless you're somebody I, and I have, when you are, when you take armor thyroid, you are getting T4 and T3. And if you're somebody who converts really well, those people do exist. We talk about under conversion all the time, but some people are overly stimulated by the T3. So that's not a great option for them. And something like T4 might be better. Now, Synthroid is synthetic. It is by far the most commonly prescribed, and it is the go-to in the conventional model. I do have women that do great on Synthroid, but many, many do not. So it's really hard to say what I would give you because I haven't looked at your labs. But the most important thing is, you're, do you really need it? What, where's the breakdown? Because that's where you want to intervene. It's not just about a Synthroid deficiency. It's about like where on that cascade are you having trouble and what else do you need to do? Um, I'm not against thyroid medicine. Again, every cell in your body needs thyroid hormones. If you can't make it, taking it is a good thing, but you do want to make sure that you've evaluated the whole cascade to A, decide if you need it. If you need it right now, you might need it later. What else you can do and what's the cause? And you can have multiple causes. You can have Hashimoto's attack, you know, antibodies attacking your thyroid, causing there to be not enough healthy thyroid to make hormone. You can also not convert, and you can also have an unhealthy gut, and you can also have, you know, other things going on. We spend a lot of time talking about thyroid in the book because it's just so complicated. So I would say your most important thing is probably be working with someone who is looking at this really holistically. All right. I know. I I did take Synthroid at one time, and it was awful for me. I was, I did not do well on it, but I do know some people who do well on it. But for the majority of people, I would say I haven't seen, I've seen more people do better with the natural desiccated. 
Yeah, um, and if you take Synthroid, you still have to convert it. So you're yeah, still going to get the convert it in the zinc. So sometimes it's a Synthroid and sometimes it's like that just didn't solve their whole the whole problem, right? And that was my problem. I couldn't convert my T4 to my T3. So just giving me more T4 with Synthroid is not going to solve my problem. Right. And there's also fillers and additives and you might be sensitive to brand name Synthroid or you might be sensitive to this version of the generic. So there's really a lot to, to think about. And um, yeah, it's, it's more complicated than just, you know, again, watching the TSH and giving you the Synthroid for sure. So where can our, our listeners go to follow you and your work? So my website is betterbydrbrook.com. Um, I do do a weekly or sometimes more often emails that my, um, my people really love. Um, they're not just health newsletters, so you can get signed up for those. Those are free. I do the um, podcast with Sarah. That's the Sarah and Dr. Brooke show. You can find that anywhere. Um, Hangry is the name of our book, which you can get anywhere it was out in June. Um, and on social media, Facebook and Instagram, I'm also at Better by Dr. Brooke. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on our show today. You are amazing. And if you have a question that you want answered, go to questions at ChantelRayway.com. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at ChantelRayway.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.